So Jesus was going into Jerusalem, and uh, he's, he's with his, his 12, the disciples, and, and he sees the, the temple, the temple courts. He, he walked in, and he, it says that he, he, he just looked around. He stopped and looked around. And for some reason, if, you, if you're going to make a trip, especially back then, you, you weren't driving there. I mean, everything was walking. For some reason, he, he decided he was too tired to deal with what was that, whatever was going on. And it says that he, along with the 12, went back to Bethany, which was a two-mile walk because it was late. This is Mark chapter 11, verse 11. And um, we're going to spend a lot of time in Mark today. When I first read through it, I thought there was probably maybe four or five different sermons out of this chapter. Um, I, I, it was it just there's uh, there's Jesus coming in on on the donkey or on the colt, and then there's the temple, and then there's a fig tree, and then there's a temple again, and then there's a fig tree again, uh, and then they start. Uh, then he talks about prayer, and then they then they question him. Uh, about where his authority comes from. I mean, it is all over the place. But when when I look back more and more, I thought it can't be four or five different sermons. There's something going on here that ties this all together. It, it's this verse. It's Mark chapter 11, verse 11. And, and, and this one verse that I just explained, I didn't read it word for word. This brings this all into, it brings one big main idea out. Mark Mark chapter 11 is a puzzle. There are Old Testament references all over the place. There's things that are talked about that there is no scripture reference, but uh, there, there's things about the Old Testament and the temple and the Israelites, and, and uh, it's, it's hard. And so I did something a little different this week. I actually wrote a longer sermon, and I had uh, some illustrations in there, and I cut them out. Uh, all, all the extra stuff is gone today. And I did that because this is already so hard to stay focused going through this this chapter, uh, let let alone adding some other side stories and jokes, stuff like that. So I just cut everything else out so that we could focus and and try to uh, work through this. And so we're going to move forwards. We're going to go into into Mark chapter 11, verse 12, and we're going to move to verse 26. Then we're going to go back to the beginning, and I'm going to show you how I believe this is all tied through this one verse. And so the question that I would want to start with is, what did Jesus see? I mean, if he was willing to make this trip, and, and it must be important. It doesn't say it was the first place he went, but it, it, it kind of insinuates that. That he went into Jerusalem, and the first place he went was the temple. And he walked in, and he saw something so crazy that he said, I'll deal with this tomorrow. Let's go home. Or let's, let's, go, let's go to Bethany, and we can sleep. So he took the two-mile walk. Here, here's, what, here's what I saw first, right after that, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, so they're going back to Jerusalem. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Okay, so he's hungry. Um, I don't know why he's hungry. They just left Bethany. It's only a two-mile walk, so what's that? I mean, taking your time, 15 minutes. Uh, but for some reason, he's hungry. I can only assume that he went back and, and had his routine of waking up early before everyone else and going and praying. doesn't say that. I don't know. I don't know why he's hungry, though. Anyway, he goes up to the tree, and there's leaves on it, but there's no figs. Now, it says it wasn't in season. What that means is that the figs weren't um, as sweet as they could be. They weren't ripe. They weren't ready. 
but there should have been something small on there. Edible, maybe not that good, but still edible. You should have been able to, to take that off and eat it. There was no fruit at all, which means when, when it was time for the fruit to be ripe, there was not going to be any fruit there. At, at this time, there was actually, uh, at this location, there should have been two different harvests. So, because um, this is about April, and then there should have been another harvest late before the winter came. There would be no fruit on that tree, no matter what, for the rest of that year at least. Verse 14, then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. That seems like a little harsh. No fruit for me. I'm hungry. I don't get breakfast. Yeah, you're dead. No fruit ever again from you. It's a tree, though. This can't be about a tree. It's, it's a parable. It's an acting parable. It's a lesson of some sort. We know that it's not just about a fruit tree. Here's what it's about. Verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Remember last week, his disciples wouldn't let the children or the parents take the children to Jesus. And he was indignant. Right after that, he goes in. It seems that he is mad again. I mean, he's upset about something. The fig tree represents the temple. I know the assumption when, when I read it, I, oh, this fig tree illustration, this is perfect. This is us. If we don't bear fruit, oh, then, then uh, there's some kind of judgment on us. I, I think it gets to that eventually, but in this context, this fig tree is about the temple. Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to happen. The, the fig tree was not producing fruit. It was not meeting its desired purpose. The temple was not doing something, which we're going to get to, which was meeting its desired purpose, God's desired purpose for the temple. So when Jesus confronted the merchants in the, in the temple court, he was, he was treating them just like the fig tree. He wasn't cursing a healthy tree dead. What he was doing was giving an assessment. You're not producing fruit at all. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now there's judgment. He goes into the temple. He sees something, which we're going to talk about. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now there's judgment. So why does he make such an intense, violent protest? We're going to look at the original purposes of the temple all the way back in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon, he blesses the temple, he prays for the temple. This is what it says. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your, del- your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people, Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. And so when Solomon is dedicating this temple, he's, he, he prays, it, and he, um, I didn't read everything from chapter 8, but he acknowledges that the temple is so great, but it, it can never be great enough to hold God. It can never be big enough to contain them. But he asks for the special blessing. He says, if you're in the temple and you kneel and you pray, God, would you honor that prayer? And then he says, if you're outside of the temple and you face the temple and you pray, God, would you acknowledge 
those special prayers. But he gives he gives a lot of focus to the foreigners, to the people, not the Israelites. We always think of the temple as being for the Israelites and the Jewish people. From the very beginning, he says, for all nations. It's for everyone. So now Jesus comes to this this amazing grand place that people have looked up at as the place where God dwells, even knowing it couldn't contain him, or the place that you look to, and God gives special attention to your prayers. Jesus gets there, and he, he doesn't like what he sees. Here's why. He taught them. He said, and remember all these Old Testament quotes, he said, is it not written, my house will be, we, will be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. Just from that verse alone, there's two issues that he has with what's going on in the temple. Now, the first one is, is from Isaiah 56, 7. I'm not going to read it all, but it, it says, a house of prayer for all nations. Yet, what they were doing was doing everything possible to keep all nations from worshiping God. I want to show a picture. I did this the a couple weeks ago, and I knocked my iPad in the music stand, so I'm going to be careful this time. Yep, but yeah, I'm going to stand over here. I feel safer this way. So I want you to see this is the this is the temple courts. Um, now, there's a lot of small writing up there, and it says holy place, or that would be where the Holy of Holies was, that only, only the priests could go to to make sacrifices, or even the high priest. Um, but this court of Israel is where all you see the, all these buildings there. That's where the, the men of Israel could go, the Jewish men. But then over here you see court of Gentiles, and that's this big space. There's a lot more room there, court of Gentiles on this side, all kinds of room over here. There's, so the, the, here, Jewish men, here and here. Everywhere else was for all the other people, the women. Uh, the Jewish people with disabilities, and any foreigner among them. If you weren't Jewish, Court of Gentiles is where you went. There were some business transactions going on there. Uh, there were people called money changers. And so if, if I came from a different nation and I didn't have the, the appropriate temple coin, then I had to go and, and trade money. I had to give you know the exchange rate. And I had to get the appropriate coin so that I could buy an animal from someone who was selling animal sacrifices. According to the historian of the Jewish people, Josephus, during one Passover week alone, it was recorded that merchants sold 255,000 lambs, quarter of a million lambs. I mean, there, there are thousands of people. Oh, yep, thank you. There are thousands of people in this area, in this area, and, and hundreds of people that are trying to do business, and they've got their little, maybe they have a little table set up, you know, um, and, and Jesus just flips them. He is not happy about this. Now, some people say this is about money and business in the church, but the truth is this actually had to happen. It had to happen somewhere. It didn't have to happen in the Gentile courts. It could have happened outside of the temple, um, but it had to happen because you had to make a sacrifice. So what they were actually doing, the services they were providing, was very appropriate. I mean, this was necessary. There was corruption. There was uh, unfair exchange rates. You want this temple coin? You're going to have to pay for it. You want this sac this animal to sacrifice? You got to pay for it. There was a lot of corruption going on. But the big issue here, what we see from from Jesus' words, the first thing he says is, 
hey, this was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And now, and now we've got this, this court of Gentiles that people come in, and they can't go any closer. Yeah, you Jewish men, you leaders, you can be right there. But everyone else, you're out here where there's thousands of people and, and thousands of animals and hundreds of people doing business, and someone's supposed to come in and, and pray, have, have their, their quiet time. No chance. And they were being kept from God. Only certain people were benefiting. Everyone else was kind of out. Jesus saw the injustice of the women and those with disabilities and the foreigners, and he didn't like it. And so he did something about it. He spoke against it. He said that the temple had also become a den of robbers. That's the second part. And that I am going to read that reference because this, this really spells it out. It's Jeremiah chapter 7, starting at verse 9. He said, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe, safe to do these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? I've been watching, declares the Lord. They thought they could treat people this way, that they could uh, they could take advantage of the people who were traveling and, and the women and the disabled, and, and, and they could do whatever they wanted. They've got their quiet place, but they're going to make money off of everyone else, and, and they're not going to allow them to be close to God. Maybe they're the ones that aren't very close to God. That's how Jesus points it out. Their hypocrisy led to their destruction. The temple was supposed to be a place that people could come in and enjoy God and focus on him. But these, these hypocrites were keeping that from happening. And so the religious leaders, they weren't happy with Jesus, and uh, they, wanted to, they wanted to kill him, and they were coming up with a plan, but he, he shared their fate first. Verse 19, when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look! The fig tree you cursed has withered. The temple had failed God, and it would no longer be the way that people would, would uh, reach him or, or seek him. And then all of a sudden, this is where I uh, feel like, oh, okay, we're done with that sermon. Now we got another one. Because Jesus changes the subject, and he starts talking about prayer. He decides, this is, this is uh, what we're going we're, we're to talk about now, but it's actually the solution to the temple. I would have never just thought this by just reading it um, one time through. I'd say, oh, okay, that one's done. There should be a new heading there. He says this. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt it in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for me in pr for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Okay, so have faith in God. He expands on prayer. Verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, verse 26, it might not say anything in your Bible. Some manuscripts say something like, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That sounds like the Lord's Prayer. Well, what's going on here is, is this first part, verses 22 to 24, uh, is is the, your relationship with God. The temple was supposed to be someone's way to God. Jesus says, okay, prayer is the way to God, not this building. And, oh, and, and he adds also, 
we're going to have a better relationship with each other. We're not going to take advantage of each other. We're going to, we're going to, if we have a problem, we're going to seek reconciliation and we're going to offer forgiveness. This is what a good temple looks like. Not that building. There was too much corruption. It never met the purpose anyway. We're going to talk about that. Sometimes we struggle with these ideas, though, in this scripture. When I read that scripture first, okay, how am I going to say that if you pray and you have enough faith, you can move mountains? Me personally, if I pray and I move, move mountains, maybe I don't have enough faith, but I've never done it. But that's what it says right here in the Bible. What was going on? Jesus is using wording that was used often with the, the rabbis, with the Jewish people, with religious leaders. And he was explaining how he was going to fulfill the prophecies and change things. See, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4 says, Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged, the rugged places a plain. It was the idea that this, this mountain, this mount, or this, well, where the temple was, uh, it would be leveled. It was the sign of the destruction yet again. People were, were saying, you've got to look this way, look to the mountain, look to the temple. Now it's, it's leveled. It was just another sign of the destruction of the temple. He was making our way to God quite a bit easier. Have faith in God is the, is the summary there of, of what he was trying to say. Don't look to the temple and you have to go and you have to make these sacrifices and you have to kneel and face that direction if you're going to pray. That's done now. No, have faith in God. That's, that's where it leads to our relationship with him. So the temple did fail in accomplishing its purposes. And now we, all of us, every Christian through Jesus, we have the same purpose as the temple. What was the purpose? It was to worship God and to share the gospel with all nations, share the, share the good news of God with all nations. And we also have the same possible issues as what the temple had. We might be too busy. We might get too distracted. There may not be any fruit. We could very easily fail, just like the temple did. I don't want to, there to be any correlation between the church building and the temple. The church building is not the temple. The people now are the temple. Jesus made the temple obsolete by making the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that was needed, the sacrifice on the cross. We don't have to go and do that every year. It didn't even accomplish anything anyway. It just reminded people of their, of their sins and of, of their, their brokenness. But we've been restored through that sacrifice, so that part's done. And so now the only thing that could possibly be left then is to worship God, to love God, and to share the gospel with people, to love people. I told you at the beginning that we were going to move forwards and then go backwards, and now we're ready to go backwards. As Jesus was on the way to the temple, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. This is verses 1 through 10. This is what happened right before he got up to the temple, and he, and he said, I'm going to deal with this in the morning. Right before that, he, was, he, he came into Jerusalem, and, uh, and he needed a, a colt or a donkey. And, uh, and some people... Um, went, and, went and got the colt, and they said, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. And then other people, they threw cloaks down, and they threw uh, palm branches down, worshiping him. And, and they shouted, Hosanna. They, they, they shouted um, that, uh, that the Savior was coming. Jesus was being worshiped as Messiah and as Savior think this ties into the temple because Jesus was being worshipped when the temple failed. 
we could fail. We we may not we might might not love God and we might not love people, but that doesn't change who Jesus is. Jesus is still a God, regardless of the temple's failings. The people still worship Jesus, and and so I, what I see in these verses is He partners with us. The colt, the the cloaks, the palm branches, the shouting. These people had an opportunity to be a part of something so much bigger, to be a part of this kingdom. And so when we serve Jesus and people come to him through that investment, whether it's serving or giving or worshiping or sharing your faith, it sure feels good to be a part of that. That's what a good temple looks like. I'm not usually a doom and gloom preacher. I want to share the gospel, and I believe that without it, um, we are separated from God for eternity. And we'll spend eternity in hell. I, I like to look at the positive usually, uh, but this is a warning. This whole chapter, this this is there's not. I can't look at it and say that's not a warning. It's just a nice passage on worship and prayer. Now, what Jesus said was, "This is what we're here for," and anything less is not acceptable. We could have the same fate as the fig tree, and the temple, or we can put our trust in Jesus. We can partner with him, and we can praise him, and we can share in his eternal glory. That's what it looks like to be a Christian, to be a temple of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you have given us uh, life. You've given us eternal life through your Son, and I thank you so much that that we are not living in a time uh, of, of the, the temple being the way to you, of this building. I know that this time fulfilled a purpose, and it led to Jesus. And so I, I pray that, that we don't try to repeat or, or that we just don't fail and, uh, and look like what the temple did, that we made it, we could make it about ourselves and be corrupt. And We're here for you, God. Uh, you, you gave everything that you could possibly give in your son, and so through that, through that gift, uh, I pray that you would just guide us uh, as, as we leave, um, that our lives would be about worshiping you and sharing your love and grace with others. I thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray.